FromTheHeart.org Radio, in collaboration with Mayo Clinic, you are listening to Mayo Clinic Talks. Greetings. Uh, I'm Dr. Sharon Mulvey. I'm a professor of medicine and the director of the Women's Heart Clinic at Mayo Clinic. And today on Mayo Clinic Talks, we'll be discussing the role of social media in cardiovascular research, particularly as it pertains to the relatively rare cardiac disorder, spontaneous coronary artery dissection, or SCAD as it's known for short. And I'll be talking with my colleague, Dr. Sharon Hayes, who specializes in cardiovascular disease in women as well. And uh, she will give us some fascinating insights on her unique experience in this area. Sharon. Well, thanks for letting me talk about this because it, um, it really has been, uh, has changed my career over the past couple of years as I sort of serendipitously got involved in this research. Well, tell us a little bit about how your research study got started. Well, I, as you know, I practice in the Women's Heart Clinic here and um, had uh, probably, I thought, more than average knowledge compared to cardiology or internists in general of spontaneous coronary dissection, but frankly hadn't treated a lot of individuals. And during a, a, an educational conference attended by uh, patients, women with heart disease, I at a, at a break, I'm medical director, at a break I was approached by a woman who asked me, so Dr. Hayes, what do you know about SCAD? And I said, well, I think I know more than average. And uh, and she said, but it's really rare and hardly anybody ever sees it and nobody knows much about it. And, and she responded that, well, what would you say if there were, if you knew there were 70 women with SCAD on a social media site that really wanted somebody to do research on this condition? Well, that was kind of gave me pause. And despite the 12 hour day, went back and did a, a literature search and found that there were the largest case series up into that point was 42. And here were 70 eager women. But they were a social media community, not in our community, and they were all over the world. And so that was the start, the idea, and this group had come up with a rather sophisticated uh, research agenda, and I like to refer to this really as patient-initiated. It's not investigator-initiated research, it's really patient-initiated. So the, so the genesis of this study really was on uh, an online community. Um, that was that is sponsored by Women Heart, the National Coalition for Women with Heart Disease, and um, and out of that we had to figure out how you do research. So that was the social media part, but how do you do research on a dispersed group of individuals, literally from all over the world? So we decided we were going to take a a big chunk. We needed to see what we could do. So we did a little pilot. We got IRB approval for twelve, and we were uh, we set up a, a sort of a registry uh, protocol where we got their angiograms and their to confirm the diagnosis and and. Uh, what was interesting is once we let the the woman on the original woman know, we had within a week eighteen women saying they wanted to be a part of this twelve. So we actually had to turn people away for this pilot, and, and um, we learned a lot during the pilot and in terms of just logistics of dealing with participants in Canada, England, New Zealand, et cetera. But we published that, and I think what became clear is that this was not nearly as rare a condition. And in the meantime, we, you know, because of the success, and once we got it published, we opened it. We got IRB approval for 200, we, uh, we have, which is a, more of a registry. We're also doing a DNA de- uh, biobank of these individuals because we think there is a genetic component. And I think how it has continued to be maintained over this time really is 
that when somebody identifies on one of these online communities now, our biggest recruiters are the other women with this condition, is they are welcome to the online community. And usually within the next couple of posts, have you heard about the, re the research being done at Mayo Clinic on SCAD? You should go to this link. And so uh, in addition to this being patient-initiated, it really is now being sustained by the social, the social media online communities. It's fascinating. It really is, because this can give us a tool, a way to be able to explore and understand these supposedly rare disorders. Uh, they may not be so rare if we just know we go out and look for them. Clearly, there are challenges, though, particularly in this era of patient privacy and protection. How? What were the mechanics of how you actually interfaced with the desire of the social media group, those individuals mm -hmm. with this disorder, and getting it into an actual research protocol where you could harness that information and develop the registry and even move forward with prospective studies? Well, I think therein lies the opportunity and the challenge. So one of the, the and, and I'm speaking about this because although not as rare perhaps as previously we thought, um, SCAD is very uncommon and it is predominantly women, about 70% women. Our, our, we have a very skewed population because it was started on a, on a women, we're actually trying to now recruit more men to, to the trial. But one of the things you do overcome is HIPAA privacy because they are volunteering. They're, you know, the fact they have the condition. And so if you think about the cost, both in people time and actual, you know, whether it was advertising, to gather, to, to get, and we've had over 300 people respond. We haven't entered, and we've entered over 115 as a, of October 1st into the study. Um, to garner that many of this rare condition would have cost me, Mayo, somebody, a whole lot of money um, in order to get this ver a very few. It's not like diabetes are really common where you could put out uh, a flyer. So by having them self-identified, that actually overcomes one barrier to doing research on a group. And that had real resonance with not only this um, disease community, but many others. I got contacted after our first publication by you know people who had rare neuromuscular diseases, um, who had a small foundation, they said, well, maybe, can, can you send me your, these are lay people, can you send me your paper? Maybe we can get researchers to, to do our disease. So I think there's a real need, um, and it's particularly well-suited for this. But I think there are, remember that if you have a rare and particularly a very serious illness, you are probably somewhat desperate in some ways for answers. And so it is, in that way, a sort of vulnerable population. Um, and so making sure that we protect them and the IRB protects them in the same way that we would protect somebody who um, was walking in their door and volunteering for a research study. And that is making sure they understand when they send an email that it is a not, not a secure um, uh, communication vehicle. Now, neither was fax, and we've been fine with people faxing in their uh, consent forms. But there are different considerations uh, in order to protect them. You know, another thing early on, so we had a blog post on, a Mayo, on the Mayo Clinic blog post that told about the study, and then there were some links to some documents. And I was called several weeks, and this is all IRB approved, you know, the content, but I was called several weeks after this was posted, and we had people come because we allowed comments, and some of the comments actually self-revealed a lot about those individuals. It was like a Facebook post, and, you know, okay. Is that okay or not? Um, Where do you cross the line right. here? Yeah. I mean, it was they provided it, but obviously it told. So, so making sure that they understood who was looking at it. Uh, I think the other part was 
uh, how do we deal with a form that they interact with that they then send back via email that has their name and the diagnosis attached? So all of those spurred a lot of questions. And we feel over this past two years, we at Mayo, because we've got other investigators in GI and and, um, and, and a variety of in dermatology and asthma mm-hmm. who are doing these types interfacing in different ways that we're learning a lot. So we need to protect the patients, but we cannot paternalize them. And I think some of the knee jerk is worrying about protecting us as healthcare providers and researchers and IRBs when we have to realize it's not HIPAA if they give it to us. They have to know perhaps that it's not secure. They also, what we found um, is that they have different expectations if they've mainly come together on social media. So we're, we're, we're doing a registry. There's no time sensitivity. We have no cap on enrollments. But if these people did not hear back within 24 hours, because they're used to putting a post on their blog or a post on their Facebook page, and the next morning they've got 10 replies. It's a culture. It is a culture. <laughs> yeah. And so what we found, and that's not how our study coordinators work. Yeah. That's not yeah. how, and particularly, there's no reason to. So educating the online community about the pace of research Mm -hmm. and reassuring them that no news is good news. We've heard you and moving forward. So I think we've learned a lot um, and uh, we've been sharing a lot at Mayo as well as with other groups um, to try to figure out who's got, who's figured it out. Is there a way actually to develop a secure patient-oriented research network? And has the IRB here at Mayo done any work in that direction? Um, so we have. It's not in, in place yet. And that's one of our challenges is that we actually have plans, but it, the infrastructure has not gone live. And that but will, this is triggering. This is, is one of the studies that I think that there have been yep. several now at the IRB here at Mayo recently that really, in this era of you know, social media, Facebook, everybody is really out there and wanting more information and to become involved in more information, these sorts of tools will be very, very strong. But then there's always the concern on the other side, the institutional aspect about, as we talked about, the... Uh, need for appropriate confidentiality if things were in the larger domain. So this is how, at the current time, would you say that social media is even reshaping the way that we do our research? Well, I think it's going to reshape, particularly for uncommon uh, diseases. It's not, it's obviously not going to shape how we treat, you know, acute MI. Uh, No. But but I think that for those, for chronic diseases and conditions for which there is follow-up, the the recruitment, and we have to be careful because it could really skew our data. I mean, we always talk about selection bias mm-hmm. in any of our trials. You know, did, did we, you know, age, or did we have set up some criteria mm-hmm. within the study? Well, obviously, the selection bias here is who's the who's on the community. Does it really represent everybody with that condition? So I think it asks it charges and challenges us to think about new questions and how we design our our trials. And I do think. Um, social media is good for the rare diseases. It may also be good for prevention studies. An interactive tool. I think it will be very interesting to look at actually in prospective studies. It'll give us a new dimension to be able to offer to uh, patients and and recruits. The other potential I think that I've thought about it is particularly those studies which we run, not our study, but run over a long term Mm -hmm. to keep them engaged. Because if you can communicate, if there's some bidirectional communication... They say, oh, yeah, Mayo Clinic still wants to know about my hip replacement and my outcome related right. to that. And so, um, and if you're a younger person and you're mainly online, and, and we know particularly for conditions that affect women, um, disproportionately, the online community is women 35 to 55. Mm-hmm. 
Now, getting back specifically to SCAD, what would you um, hope to come about in new knowledge about the disorder from the registry and the uh, prospective portion of the study that you've initiated? So I think some of the things that are, that sound very basic that we do not know and, and we did not know, we have some retrospective data, but, but understanding the risk of recurrence and also risk factors, and if not risk factors, at least um, associated conditions. Uh, I think that many people, because it often was only one or two that a cardiologist had seen in, in a career, were told it's a fluke because, it, at least in their experience, it wasn't. But what we found in a retrospective study was um, uh, an over 20% recurrence rate over 10 years. And as we started to see these individuals clinically, um, uh, there are a high-risk group that seem to have them, and, and not just one recurrence. Now, that is not something easy for this online. So there is another thing, is the findings of our retrospective study where we found this 10-year recurrence rate, um, there was a lot of churn on the, that online community about, I was told it was a fluke, it would never happen again. I was not at risk, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So that actually is interface, you know, if you've committed to social media-generated research, another aspect is making sure you report back to them. I mean, they're education. sharing a lot. Yeah, yeah, ongoing education. And uh, and for a condition that there wasn't a lot of other sources information. of information. Um, but I do hope that we can better, uh, um, We I don't think with a registry we'll necessarily get to the, you know, the, the best treatment sort of thing. That's all going to be retrospective. But if we can hone down so we know how to look or screen retrospectively, or do we need to screen family members? To, can we identify... Um, I mean, we know that vascular EDS, um, uh, Ehlers-Danlos, uh, can be one risk factor. There are, there are a few genes, but frankly, most of the individuals we've tested clinically are negative. So maybe with by doing this exome sequencing, we will be able to identify some others. So specifically for our listeners, um, if they do have patients that they think perhaps might have SCAD, and certainly your study is going to increase the awareness of this, mm -hmm. what would you suggest that they do? How can they access uh, into uh, the link and uh, maybe even give this information to their patients and they themselves get more information? Because we know how hard it is to diagnose chest pain syndromes in women, particularly in this Mm -hmm. age, this early middle age group that tends to be struck with this? Well, it's certainly if they have confirmed SCAD, we would love to enroll them in our, and um, get them involved. And the other thing is we off, what we do for those who haven't heard about the online community, they've heard about our studies. Otherwise, we connect them with the online. So it's, it has been bi-directional. Mayo SCAD um, uh, at mayo.edu. That's the email for our okay. study coordinator, Mayo SCAD, all one word. Um, we'd love that. But if if there are other uh, women who haven't diagnosed but have uh, particularly young women with uh, cardiovascular disease, um, I think uh, we've, we've got a wealth of information and opportunities here at Mayo Clinic where we can study, treat, um, and uh, provide comprehensive care. I should also mention we have a number of resources online, both for physicians and uh, for patients and for prospective uh, research uh, participants. Um, if you Google or go on mayoclinic.com, we've got um, information about how to make an appointment, understanding SCAD, some uh, nice videos that uh, illustrate the disease. And then we have a forward-facing uh, SCAD at Mayo Clinic Facebook page that has an, a lot of information, and it's a way for... Uh, uh, clinicians, patients, uh, people living with SCAD, and family members to learn more about the condition. We keep it updated regularly. Well, thank you so much, Sharon Hayes, for your 
insightful information today. Um, and thanks for our listeners to tuning in to Mayo Clinic Talks, and we'll look forward to uh, being able to um, engage you again in hopefully the near future. Take Thank care you. now. Thank you. You've been listening to Mayo Clinic Talks. Visit theheart.org to find out more.